planning is overrated, it's better to focus on small habits towards the direction you want to go every single day. Focus on small and focus on consistency. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserved. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth until tomorrow, no code becomes the next big skill that changes the future of humanity. That's what I'm all about. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz and from an ethical hacker to a European Ivy League business graduate with a master's of science in entrepreneurship to a hypnotherapist to a growth marketer, I've lost everything twice, but I refuse to give up. So now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. The No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter are for the makers and founders who have the proactivity, perspective, and persistence to go on this journey with me and get the answers about money, marketing, and mindsets so that makers become earners, earners become founders, and founders get freedom and create Wealth and thank you all so much for the support. This podcast now is ranking very nicely on Apple in the entrepreneurship category top 200 in San Francisco, top 100 in Australia, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in the United Kingdom, top 50 in Spain, top 50 in the Netherlands, top 30 in Sweden, and top 25 in Italy. And I reach a total of 150 episodes on both my podcasts with. 120 interviews published in 50 days. So keep supporting, rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing. And if you're interested in my mentoring services to help with your business goals, especially when it comes to marketing, networking, as well as podcasting, finding your podcast uniqueness, reaching out to great guests, getting ranked on Apple, conducting interesting interviews, podcast promotion, and much more, send me an email to mentor at storybonding.com, M-E-N-T-O-R at storybonding.com, or message me on Twitter, no code wealth, and let's begin a conversation. My guest today is Natalie Furness from the Coventry University, where she received a Bachelor's of Science degree in Biomechanics and Neurophysiology, to the Rigby Football Union, receiving a Level 2 Trauma Qualification by the Royal College of Surgeons, to the University of Southampton, where she received a Master's of Science in Leadership and Management, from volunteering at Oxfam to volunteering as a public speaking coach at the Cheryl Sandberg and Dave Goldberg Family Foundation, to volunteering as an international student advisor at her university, 
Natalie was a founding director for Women in Tech Revolution, a corporate partnership manager at Feel Good Co. in London, a HubSpot sales and marketing automation specialist at Banani App, a founding director for, for Nyam Marketing and Sales Automation, the head of marketing for ISOConnect in London, an investor and marketing advisor for Hazar, and is a freelance investment scout for MakerPad, scouting for investments in revenue-generating SaaS app or tools for no-code makers or developers. So if you have one, make sure to contact her. She is a cohort number two, Launch MBA, and the founder of Freelance Notion, first product freelancing operating system that made her already $1,000 quite fast. Natalie, how are you today? I'm great. Wow, that was an introduction and a half. I don't think I've ever had my credentials read back to me quite like that. I do have to clear up just one thing, though. I'm still technically studying my master's, so I haven't finished it. So I just wanted to put that out there just so that's 100% clear. So part-time master's student. Well, we never know. Maybe someone in the future will listen and you'll be working on your PhD or already <laughs> done with it. So by that time, it's going to be um, just a beautiful memory of two graduations at least. Yeah. I mean, and to I ask do... you something. Yeah. Yes, tell me. Okay, Natalie, what have you been thinking on has been running through your mind, something you've been reflecting on, contemplating that is important for you in these past periods and days? It's a great question. I suppose right now, the things that I'm really focusing and reflecting on is whether I should be building or whether I should be marketing. This seems to be the no-code creator dilemma. We are taught about the importance of building audiences so that we can get traction on products that we build. But to do that, you need to be networking. You need to be speaking to people. You need to have yourself on Twitter. You need to be building in public. You need to be doing all these things that are focused on connecting with your audience. But at the same time, you need to have your head down. You need to be building. You need to be creating so that the product you actually launch to market actually fulfills the requirements of your audience. So I've been spending a lot of time reflecting recently on how much of my energy I'm spending putting into marketing and how much of my energy I should be putting into actually building. Great. So if I understood you correctly, the dilemma for no code makers is this. If you focus on making and building a better product, you will meet and exceed people's expectations and therefore you will have more traction, more success, more word of mouth because you're a superior solution. But for that to happen as well, you need to market yourself, to network, to use Twitter, to spend time on social media in order for people to even hear about your product. But that time is taken from the time that could have gone to building a more complete solution and a better product. Is this correct? Exactly that. And I think because I come from a marketing background, I have, uh, have a natural tendency to want to talk about what I'm doing publicly anyway. And that, that comes quite naturally to me. And I'm, I'm lucky to have that. 
but the focus of sitting and building and building and building doesn't come as naturally to me. So I've been really trying to limit the amount of time that I spend talking to other people to focus on building. And when I speak to people that come from more of a development product point of view, it's the other way around. They're having to try and flip it so they spend less of their energy building and more of their time promoting. And I think that's what's interesting about being part of, say, the launch MBA community is that the great thing about the no-code world is we're from all different walks of life. And actually, you realize that we all have different strengths and weaknesses and understanding where your strengths lie and where your natural behavior moves towards is really important when you're becoming a, a no-code creator. Thank you. So each person, whether in launch MBA or in life and in the no-code community in general, have different strengths and different weaknesses and they're unique to them and understanding this profile about them will allow them be, to be more effective. Is this correct? Yeah, I think we all tend to like to gravitate towards the things that we know we're good at. That's just, I believe that's a human trait. But I think I really want to focus on where are the gaps in my knowledge. And I think we all should focus on where are the gaps. We naturally gravitate towards one behavior, but does that mean that we become weak in another area? And how can we fill that gap? Now, some people fill that gap by partnering with other makers. So there's lots of people that have one who's more focused on building and one who's more focused on promoting. But as a solo entrepreneur, it becomes a little bit more of a dilemma um, if you have weaknesses in certain areas that you need to improve, you need to have that mindset to focus on constant growth and improvement in your areas of weakness. Thank you. And I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little bit just to test your perspective. Mm. Well, you said everyone has this tendency to focus on what they're good at and in a way not spend enough time on what they're weak at, which will create gaps. Well, human beings have been evolving for millions of years. Whatever strategy is common within them is the optimal strategy. So why do you think something that has been tested and true for millions of years, literally, is a weakness? And that's one part. And another part of it, why do you choose and prefer to be a solopreneur? Great questions. I mean, the first one, I suppose we can look at that whole um, idea of, you know, if you try and teach a fish to climb a tree, it's always going to fail. And maybe we should let fish swim and monkeys climb trees and focus on what people are great at. And I agree to a certain point. Every human being is different and we all should focus on what our strengths are and use those to our best abilities. But we must be aware that if our strengths cause us to behave in a certain way, that mean that we won't necessarily achieve our goals. We need to become self-aware of how our weaknesses need to improve. I'm not suggesting that we should all become the same in any way, but having that self-awareness of where your weaknesses are and wanting to grow and improve on those things that are bad habits or are things that you should stop doing. I think that's very important for growth amongst all of us.
So that's the answer to the first question. In terms of the second one, why I chose to become a solo entrepreneur, I'm not even sure it was a choice. It has just kind of happened. It's one of those things where I very much grew, grew up in an environment that my social circle wasn't entrepreneurial. And most of my friends work you know, work in full-time jobs, are employed, um, are quite comfortable in what they're doing. And there was nobody necessarily in my close circle that that shared my ambitions and values at this point. Now, that's not to say that I don't have some projects in the pipeline that I've co-founded with other people. There are definitely some things bubbling away, but I've only met these people since I've joined the no-code world. Before I joined this world of no-code makers, I didn't actually find anybody like me that wanted to start companies. Great. So if I understood correctly about the first part, well, it's not about becoming the same kind of person, but we should be aware of our weaknesses so that there are no gaps because they could lead us to behave in a way that is not optimal. And we should be aware of that. And the second, you grew up around people who were happy in their corporate jobs or doing their work. And therefore, you didn't meet many like-minded people until you joined the no-code community. And only then you found entrepreneurs who shared the same entrepreneurial spirit. Is this correct? That's correct. And then to ask you a bit, I'm noticing that in many of the perspectives that you had when you're answering, there was this look for an ideal thing and you're comparing yourself to it, and maybe I am wrong, but do you have a tendency to be a perfectionist? I pause here because I'm trying to evaluate whether I am a perfectionist or not, which probably means I am a perfectionist. Um, I think we all have a bit of a perfectionist monster inside of us. We want things to be perfect. We want to create great things for other people. And a lot of things that drives me, it's all about serving my audiences or communities or customers. It's about making things perfect for them. But more recently, I have realized that not everything can be perfect. Um, and you do have to get rid of this fear of releasing things too late and actually push out ideas and thoughts and prototypes and MVPs before you know that they're ready because only then can you improve them. So maybe the perfect way of doing things is actually just to release them early and I'm just following this idea of perfection that's that's this new way of being perfect by releasing things early. But I like to do my best, um, I think is the way of putting it. I have learned that humans are full of errors. We are, we are not perfect. We are human. Um, and, and getting over that isn't, isn't easy. When you make mistakes and you feel really bad for making mistakes, um, I definitely used to feel awful when I made mistakes, whether that be typos or grammatical errors or something not working on a website or something like that. Whereas now I think I'm a lot more relaxed about releasing stuff that's not finished because surprisingly people like it when you are more human. 
You know, when they pick up a typo or a link that's broken, that gives people a reason to engage with you. So I think I'm a lot more comfortable with imperfection than I used to be. Great. So if I understood correctly, again, you were a, a perfectionist, whether when you made a mistake, grammatical, or in a typo, or on a website, you felt bad, and you even called it like a perfectionism monster <laughs> inside. And then you used to wait because you wanted to release a perfect product that is perfect for the clients and the customers. But over time, you learned that the perfect way that is a more correct and the right way and the new way and the modern way is to release things before they're ready for two reasons, at least one you will get feedback which allows you to make it perfect because you don't know what will be perfect until you release that. And the second, when there are errors, people like that because it makes you human rather than uh, this perfect uh, ideal person that is not relatable and therefore they engage with you more. Is this correct? Mm, yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, showing some of your vulnerable sides and becoming more human is is all it's very important um, when you want to engage with other human beings because you know sharing those stories with others is allows people to relate as well yes humans relating sharing stories and can you share a story about yourself that either you feel is the most human story about you or a story you tend to share that people really resonate and connect with that maybe the audience will love to hear? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how many people in your audience will relate to this. And it's actually not a story that I have felt com too comfortable sharing until quite recently. So I was diagnosed with dyslexia um, when I was, I think I was about 19 years old. I was diagnosed very late. Um, up until that point, um, I was called a lazy speller um, or somebody that just didn't take care of my language um, and was criticised highly for um, a lot of my, my English work. <laughs> and for a long time, I was very ashamed to talk about the fact that I was dyslexic. And I'm sure that there's many people out there that deep down have something that they think they should be ashamed of. But this last year, actually, 2020, I, I promised myself to speak more openly and honestly about it and, and actually learn even more about what dyslexia was and, and how that affected me. And, and actually what I realized is that being dyslexic is, is sometimes actually a superpower rather than a disability. We see things differently. We have visual minds that are unmatched by others. We are actually on that top scale of, of what we can visualize. Yes, we have weaknesses that are in areas such as spelling and punctuation, but we have strengths. And I think I was ashamed for quite a long time that I had this diagnosis because the general public saw it as a disability. Whereas the more and more I researched and learned about it, the more and more I realized it was a strength. Um, and I know I think differently, um, but I think that's a good thing. And after researching, you know, many, many people um, 
there are there are tons of famous people out there entrepreneurs sir richard branson um einstein was rumored beethoven was rumored to have it as well um and there are many of these people that have done so well in fact 40 percent of all self-made millionaires are dyslexic um, and considering that dyslexia only affects one in four people that gives us a pretty high probability of success so that's my story i suppose it's a little bit more about me that i don't talk that much about no worries because when it comes to stories actually the more personal the more universal so if i understood correctly when you were younger and you at 19 you got diagnosed officially with dyslexia before that and for a long time you were called the lazy uh, speller and you had problems in spelling words in the punctuation but you hid that for a long long time but until 2020 you decided to come forth uh, with uh, with this superpower that you have and that you didn't know at the time you spoke about it and you researched to discover more and found out that you have unparalleled visual ability in your mind and that there are many great people and very successful people as well as a high percentage of self-made millionaires who are dyslexic as well and therefore you view this now as a superpower rather than a, as a hindrance or a weakness or something that is negative to be hidden or to be ashamed of. Is this correct? Yeah, that's exactly correct. I think we spend a lot of our early years in life trying to fit in and then in our later years realizing that it's more important to stand out. And I definitely think the dyslexic mindset is what helps me see things differently. You said it helps you to see things differently. Well, can you give a bit of examples and how does that help you with coming up with creative ideas for no-code projects? In terms of examples, it's, it's often quite difficult to give examples um, because I'm, I often don't know what other people can't see in their head. And I suppose a, a really simple example is to really understand how to map out very complex systems. So as part of my master's, I did a discovery into the interoperability of healthcare data, which in layman's terms means how patient data flows through systems, how an x-ray gets from one place to another. And lots of your data in healthcare is siloed. And nobody had really modeled why this was happening. So I took it upon myself to spend six weeks researching every single step that a healthcare record took through multiple systems. And I built a data flow diagram of how one x-ray moved through an entire, uh, the entire NHS from the moment it was taken in A&E to the moment that it sat on a physiotherapist desk. And I was able to map that out visually using a data flow diagram. But for me, I found this easy. I didn't see the complexities by making this diagram. And it was only the moment in which I handed it into my, my university lecturer who was actually part of the 
technology team um, at Southampton. And he told me that it was one of the, the best examples he'd ever seen of this work. But to me, I didn't know that it was good. To me, it was easy. It was at that moment that I realized that some things that I find easy, so taking really complex systems and making them visual and connecting the dots between things that to other people don't seem to connect, I didn't realize other people couldn't do that. Um, that's the best explanation I think I can give for it. Thank you. So you're able to create and map out highly complex systems in a visual way and to connect things that other people don't really see as connected, as well as it's like what Gary Vee even says, that we're boring to ourselves, but we're fascinating to everyone else. So to you, that seemed simple and normal, but to people like the, your professor from the technology um, part of your Southampton University, that was one of the very best examples he has ever seen. But to you, it was almost banal. Is this correct? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those weird things that you don't realize that you have a skill in an area until somebody tells you. Because, yeah, to you, you're boring. And another example I can think of is um, I've recently started up a bit of a product studio with a developer friend of mine and, and we build apps for people that want apps building. Um, and these are coded apps rather than no code. But founders will come to me with a list of user stories or a list of what they will want the app to do. And I will draw out the entire infrastructure of how the screens will flow from one to the other um, and how the functions will connect. And I hand that to the UX designers. So I basically build the, the user journeys out using data flow diagrams. And I hand those over to my UX team and to my developers. And that's how they get started. So I almost act as the translator from the founder to the technical teams in those senses. Great. So the founders come to you with user experience stories. You translate them into the screens and the diagrams of how the functions will flow. And then the coders take that and implement it and create it. And you find that to be something that comes naturally to you, but to other people, it's perplexing. Is this correct? I think so. Um, I haven't really met anybody else that has been able to do it the way that I do it. But I think that's why I work in the teams that I do, because they have skills that I, I don't have. I couldn't develop it. And I'm not great at designing things from scratch. I'm good at the back end engineering and understanding how data fits together and how data should flow to make sure that the customer experience is what we want it to be. That's kind of my niche area is data. Your niche area is data. Can you comment how freelancer operating system is an embodiment of your skills and abilities and in the way you created it was unique to you because of your unique background and abilities and superpower? So freelance notions and the freelance operating system is quite an interesting one because I wouldn't say that it encapsulates my strength at all. If anything, it was a challenge. So it's actually a 10 chapter ebook that's interactive hosted on Notion. 
Um, and it includes a 10 chapter ebook, as I mentioned, talking about how to start your own freelancer business, how to grow and how to um, diversify your earnings and grow your earnings. Um, it also includes a CRM system. So I am skilled at building CRM systems and I've created a, a CRM system that's automated to tasks. So you can use that. And it also includes templates. Now, I, I wanted to do this project because it was a long copy challenge. Um, you know, it's, it was, it's always been a challenge for me to articulate the lessons that I've learned about freelancing over the last decade in writing. So I always did this project as a to prove to myself that I could write a book is one of the reasons I wrote it. And I, I wanted to share my experiences as a freelancer because I've been self-employed on and off since 2007, I think. 2007 was when I first went um, freelance and it's been on and off since then. And over the years, I've learned a lot about the business of freelancing and the importance of positioning yourself correctly. Because as a freelancer, I am a specialist in HubSpot CRM, um, marketing and sales operations. That's what I do now as a freelancer. But I wanted to teach other people how to find their niche, how to tell their story correctly, how to win new business, how to close deals, and then how to serve customers. Because I think as freelancers, we have great skills, but we don't necessarily know how to run the business behind it. And because I've been running the business behind my freelancing operations for a decade, that's what I put into the freelance notion operating system is how to build your business as a freelancer. Great, Natalie. So I'm noticing actually that the earlier pattern is present here where you mentioned that, you know, human beings tend to go towards what they do well and easily and to ignore a bit more of the things they're not good at, which creates gaps, which to me, it seems that this challenge of writing the ebook, since you said writing is a challenge for you, is a way for you to fill the gaps of your weaknesses. Is this correct? Yes, and I think people underestimate the need to be able to articulate your thoughts in writing. I think it's a very important skill. And whilst I have some, I suppose, neurophysiological things that hold me back a little bit, I don't believe that they are a barrier to progression. Um, I believe if I work hard enough, I will achieve them. And what we have to remember is today to have a voice on the internet, to have a voice on social media, to have a voice in an email conversation, to have a voice on a Slack channel, you need to be able to quickly communicate what you're thinking into text, even WhatsApp. So, you know, the internet and the way of communicating through written language is definitely not built for the neurodiverse population. Um, and a great way of improving that is to do an exercise such as writing an ebook. So yes, this was part self-development, but part sharing my knowledge. Um, so it kind of serves two purposes, my self-development and, and hopefully helping more freelancers earn more in less time. That's the goal of it. Thank you, but I'm hearing a much more important topic because if you had this difficulty with writing and you're learning 
to become good at it, to have a voice and to build an audience. Well, whatever ways you perceive this and you go about it are probably really valuable to the general population. So let's explore this. And my question is very specific. When you are writing, how do you think about communicating? How do you put your thoughts into words in Twitter, for example, or such a very short medium where you need to be pithy, eloquent, and effective? Again, just such a great question. I think Twitter has been amazing to teach me how to put my rambling thoughts into succinct sentences because they give you a limit. And I think I've been following some amazing people on Twitter who have really helped me. Jack Butcher, who was the founder, who is the founder of Visualize Value. He is the first person who articulates such complex things in such short sentences. And I have been studying him. I have been watching him. I've been watching the way that he writes. There, there's a few other copywriters that are, are online that I follow as well. And I learn from people who are getting engagement. I look at how they are writing copy. And I do my best to try and mimic some of their styles, add my styles, try different things out. And it's all a case of trial and error. I think to start with, I just rambled on Twitter, for example, um, and didn't get much engagement. And then I started improving things, um, shortening my sentences, making them more readable. I've recently been using Hemingway app. Um, and I've been using Grammarly since 2007 to help me with all of my writing. And the Grammarly keyboard on my mobile phone has been a great help for that. So I think it's like everybody. I do a bit of a brain dump of everything that I want to say. I then put that brain dump through some technology to improve it. And then I have spent lots of time editing and editing and editing and then sharing it with other people to see if it really communicates what I want it to communicate before finally publishing it as freelance notion. So that was my method um, of learning. Thank you. And no, it's not just like everyone. This is something like that project where you took the x-ray and you put it into a system that seems to be like everyone to you, but your professor was saying, no, no, no. So now a tweet. What did you learn? You said you're copying people's um, tweets and their style, like Jack Butcher and other people. Well, because of your unique and unusual and amazing brain, which is not so good at writing, the method you think is normal that you develop to write tweets is probably only you that is <laughs> who is using that. So please describe as a process-oriented person, from idea to finally published tweet, what steps do you go through and what do you do in order to communicate, including some of your the best things and tips you keep in mind when styling and writing those limited character idea in tweets? Okay. I mean, this is, this is not an easy question to answer because I just write what's in my mind at that time. But I will, I have found a really good way to produce a lot of tweets. 
um, which is tweeting while I'm reading or tweeting while I am listening to an audiobook. Um, the process that I take with this is to maybe read a page of a book or to listen to 10 minutes of a podcast or of an e-book, e um, read an e-book and sum it up in my own two sentences. So it's that practice of curating concepts into short sentences. Because in the age that we're living in, we are not in, a, we're in the information age. We have a lot of information. Information isn't hard to access. The problem is, is that not many people are very skilled at curating information into bite-sized chunks that humans can digest. So my suggestion to anybody who wants to start tweeting or improving their tweets is to look at some an article and see if you can sum your thoughts up about that article into two or three sentences in a way that that person technically doesn't have to click on that article. You have summed it up well enough. That would be one example of a, a strategy for tweeting. Another thing is to find a trend and then I, I don't like using the word copy because it's not copying, but use the framework of that trend to then write your copy. So, for example, the hashtag build in public. Build in public is all about showcasing work before it's done. It's a great practice for any perfectionists out there who need to get over their perfectionism. The idea is, is you start building something or creating something or you have an idea you maybe work on it a little bit, you screenshot it, you post that screenshot of what you're working on on Twitter, you share what you're working on, you tag the tools that you're working on, maybe you tag some people who might also share your interest, and then you hashtag build in public. That's one framework that I'm using at the minute for build in public, and that one's working quite nicely. Another thing that I've found people like as well as when People pose questions um, or ask for opinions on Twitter. I like to think of social media just like, you know, any sort of social occasion, attending a dinner party, going to an event. You don't stand there and announce yourself or, you know, you share ideas, thoughts, entertain or ask questions just like you would in any normal social interaction. So the most important tip for anybody who's tweeting or using social media is remember that, you know, to be social and also engage as well after the posts. I found actually the most important thing about growing an audience on Twitter has got nothing to do with actually posting. It's more to do with engaging in other people's content and making friends on DMs. Thank you. And now I have another question because that is so valuable. But the question that kept on being on my mind, it seems to me that you are like getting out into the world, random ideas, not in a negative way, but that you're not only focusing on one market or one group of people or one theme. Is this correct? Or do you try to focus everything on no code and the community you're part of? So anything you're summarizing, you're adding another filter and layer of relating it to no code community or is it truly just getting great content out there whatever is on that page or in that 
audiobook minute and just letting the right people get there, whether they're from no code or not, it doesn't matter. It's just shared ideas and content curation. So at the minute, I am currently working with three key audience markets that I'm interested in. The first is for my day job. So no code making is still something that's more of a side hustle to me than a full-time job. Full-time, I'm a CRM specialist HubSpot freelancer. So a few of my, well, a third of my tweets are focused on the marketing industry, becoming part of marketing Twitter, because that's a community that I've been part of for quite a while. The second community that I'm focused on is related to freelance notion, and that's sharing ideas for freelancers, whether that be a, a motivational saying of, you know, if you're thinking about doing something yesterday, today, just do it. You know, things like that, that I can share to motivate people. I, I use a lot of positive psychology because I think it's really important. Um, or maybe I give them a tip on how to attract a certain client. And then the third market is no code creators. And I will create tweets for them. So these are the three audiences that I am really interested in meeting people and chatting to people in at the minute. And I would say that most of the tweets that I write are for one of those three audiences. Great. So you're writing tweets geared either to audiences you have experience in and all you're part of, as well as people you wish to meet more of and interact more of. And it's not only about broadcasting tweets, it's about engaging, communicating in DMs and outside and being a sociable person on that social media, correct? Yes, I would say that it's not about broadcasting at all. It's about sharing ideas, concepts, engaging. It's all about engagement. I think if you go into social media thinking that it's a, a one-way broadcasting channel, then you will fail very quickly. Um, social media is about being social. And that's the best way to do it. Social media is about being social. And it's actually really, really um, great to think about it in this way. So you said you're a solo entrepreneur in many ways, but if you're building in public, you're actually having the brain hive of the whole community supporting, contributing, and being with you. So you're actually crowdpreneuring, if there is such a word. What are your thoughts oh, on this? Yes. Oh, I would say as a solo entrepreneur, I I very rarely work on my own, ever. I mean, I'm always talking to people online, but always, you know, discussing ideas with different people or asking if people can help me with certain bits. And I outsource bits and pieces to freelancers myself, you know, when I need an expert to help me build something. So I don't ever work alone that much. But I, yeah, I suppose, I don't know if there's a word for crowdsourcing a company. Maybe there should be. I agree with you 1000%. And to take this into a great landing for this episode, if you were to think in your heart about a piece of advice 
that is really coming from your heart that maybe a listener or two or a hundred or many would benefit from, what would you share and say? I would share that planning is overrated. It's better to focus on small habits towards the direction you want to go every single day. Focus on small and focus on consistency. Focusing on small and on consistency rather than trying to come up with the perfect plan before beginning. Thank you. And that relates back to what you mentioned, that the new perfect way of being is to release things imperfectly and let the feedback and people let you know which direction to go, what to improve, and what perfect for them means. And I love that. If people want to connect with you, to communicate with you, to engage with you, what would be the best place or places and links right now? So right now, the best place to talk to me is on Twitter. It's Natalie underscore Fern, which is F-U-R-N. My DMs are open. Of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Natalie Furness, Digital Marketer on LinkedIn. And I think those are the best places to connect with me right now. Of course, go and explore FreelanceNotion.com. And if you've got any questions about that, then please do reach out. Thank you, Natalie. I'll make sure to write those links in the description. And I wish you a great day. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.